Good morning, Redemption Hill. Welcome to church. I know we continue to be uh, separated in location, and yet we gather together on uh, the internet, and we get to worship God together. We get to examine His Word together. We get to recall each other to mind. Uh, if you have any questions, any needs, any concerns, I would encourage you to use our connection card, which you can find on our website, www.redemptionhc.com. Uh, if there's any way that I can be personally helpful, you can reach out to me specifically, uh, robertb at rhchurches.com. If you're a guest with us, we're super glad you're here with us and hope that you will continue to meet with us every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. Same place, you can find us on our Facebook page. Obviously, you found us this morning. Um, or you can go to our, uh, our webpage and that will launch you to the Facebook page. Uh, if there's things that we can do to be encouragement to you or help you, you have prayer requests, anything, please don't hesitate to reach out. Our prayer is that during this uh, difficult and uh, very odd uh, life-changing season that God would show himself and his love to all of us. And I know he loves you, whatever your uh, walk with God is like or lack of walk with God, whatever your experience of him is like, he has his eye on you. He's attentive and he wants to uh, develop relationship with you. And uh, we'd love to help you in that process. If you think we can be of help, please, please don't hesitate to reach out. Please let us know you're connecting with us. It'll give us a chance to, to touch back and, and uh, see how you're doing. We, we won't harass you or anything, but we'd love to be able to connect. So I invite you to do that. This morning, I wanted to return us to our series on essentials, truth when all else fails. And the series is really focused on the things that when all of the rest of life is stripped away, these are the things we center on. And we're beginning a multi-week segment on the essential uh, rhythm of life, which is love God and love others. And um, I think that's really critical. Uh, everything else is uh, turned upside down in our world right now. And um, we're approaching life differently. We're thinking about life differently. Some of us are very heavy hearted. Some of us are experiencing very hard things. A lot of questions, a lot of anxiety, um, a lot of frustration may be growing, all kinds of experience. And in the midst of that, uh, the fundamental rhythm of life uh, is that we would love God and we would love each other. And I want to look at uh, several things over the next several weeks that will help us to do that this morning, loving God, particularly focusing on cultivating our affection for God and our intimacy with God. Uh, this is a strange season. I got a gift this last week, which is, I, as far as I know, it's the first time in my 25 plus years of pastoring I've ever gotten a gift like this from a church member. And when a member gives you a gift, you know they're thinking about you and praying for you, and there's a sign of affection that comes, and it's always an encouragement. Um, but this one, it was a little bit different and it, it, it speaks to the season we're in. Somebody brought this to my door and, and basically said, uh, you know, we love you, was, was what the gesture meant. And that's like, oh, okay. Uh, you know, before this season, if someone had given me this uh, as an act of love, I would have really uh, wondered what they were trying to say, but I immediately understood. It was in, in this season of heaviness, let's, let's, uh, let's find a little lightheartedness too. And... Um, so they gave me one of the symbols, if you will, of the whole COVID uh, lockdown season of the whole pandemic. Um, one of the things that we can get our minds around that's not too heavy hearted. I brought another symbol with me this morning. Um, if you can see this, this is my sock drawer. And um, or more specifically, this is my black sock drawer. I've got these little bins. I've got several of them in my closet. 
And so I keep my black socks in there and I keep my socks organized by color so it's easy to find. And I'm a, if you will, a, a sock organized kind of guy. Uh, some of you aren't sock organized kinds of guys or gals, and yet you have found this to be an occasion to go in and, and tear into your dresser and, and change your socks around and other things around. And some of us are learning how to bake bread from scratch, or we've taken up the guitar, or we're learning crossword puzzles, or all kinds of things that we're doing in this season. And um, I think the sock drawer is a symbol of, of a desire to say, Everything's shifted. I want to make sure that I'm doing this season well. And there's a good side and there's a bad side. Some of us get all guilty because we're not changing our sock drawers. And uh, we're feeling like, oh, great, I'm even failing at world pandemic. And if that's you, please, <laughs> please relax. Uh, first off, people that are doing their sock drawer, if this is the only time they've ever done it in six weeks, it'll be back to normal. It's only organized sock drawer kind of people that will maintain organized sock drawers. And those that aren't, won't. And that's not the big issue in life. How you're using each moment of this day to check something off your list is not the most important question. You do have a, a, a dividend of attention, perhaps. Some of us have more time. Some of us, like myself, actually are finding life more complicated, but it's still shifted. Right. And so there's nothing wrong with uh, using this as an opportunity to start a project or weed the yard or paint the hallway or reorganize your sock drawer. But the deep changes that are most significant, I think we need to give attention to those too. And I, I want to give a little attention this morning to say maybe part of what this season is about um, is, is going deeper than just have I checked something off my list today to this question of, of loving God and loving others and specifically looking at my relationship with God. If you have a Bible, would you open to Psalm 63? Um, this is a Psalm of David. And while you're turning there, I'll just read you the, the superscription, the, the kind of the introduction before the first verse. That's actually part of the original text. And it says a Psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. David actually spent extended time in the wilderness of Judah, two different occasions, once when he was the son-in-law of the king, and his father-in-law was literally trying to murder him, and he was on run for his life for an extended period of time. The other time was well into his uh, later years. He'd been king for a long time, and his adult son tried to overthrow his government, tried to kill his dad, tried to take control. And for a while, it looked like he might succeed. And David and those that were still loyal to him, many of them, went out into the wilderness of Judah, where they basically hid out. And, and if you look through the details to the deeper emotional impact, I think you'll see that this is very much the situation we're in. David was isolated in a setting where he was forced to be away from his normal life and his home and his work, where the world around him was very anxious, where people were dying, where nobody knew exactly what was going to happen, where the future was unclear when they'd be able to go back to normal, what normal would even look like, what the economy would be like, what people's health would be like, if they'd be able to return to anything that they'd gone to before. That's the situation David's in. In many ways, it's much like the situation you and I find ourselves in. Some of us are really struggling because uh, hard things have already come. Some of us have already been battling the disease itself. Some of us have had loved ones that have. Some of us are uh, experiencing financial problems because of 
what this uh, pandemic has done. Some of us are concerned about what it's continuing to do and when the economy is going to open up again and what it's going to look like and how we're going to be able to go back to normal. As church leadership, those are questions we're asking. If we're not allowed to meet in larger groups for months on end, what does that look like? Or if we're allowed to go back really soon, what does that look like? And if we go back and people aren't yet comfortable, what does that look like? How do we adjust? And what happens to the income when people start losing their jobs? That also affects how the church is able to do its ministry. I mean, there's there's all kinds of ramifications that work through how each of us as individuals live, how each of us as families live, how we as a church family function. That's the world we're living in right now. A lot of uncertainty, at least for us. You know, God's got clarity. He's not wondering what to do. He's got this in control, and we will get through this. But the journey itself could be hard. David finds himself in exactly that kind of place. And it's at that moment that he stirs up his affection for God, and he stirs up his uh, intimacy with God, and he does that in Psalm 63. And I would suggest that maybe, at least in part, That's what this season is supposed to be for us, a chance to come from a fresh place. Some of us maybe with more time than we had before. All of us with a different set of uh, parameters for life, different kind of quiet around us. And, And what does it look like to connect with God more deeply? And how do we stir up our affection for him and our intimacy with him? So if you want to follow along in Psalm 63, David says... O God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Now, we'll stop there for just a second. I want to point out, this has all been very personal so far. It's me and you. A lot of things going on. David is not alone, and yet he's isolated. And in that isolation, there's this very personal drawing in close to God, where it's me and you, God. But he doesn't lose sight of the fact that he's part of a bigger story. There's bigger things going on. And the the last three verses kind of build out more perspective that there's other people around, other things are going on. One of the things that we want to guard against as we cultivate a personal depth of relationship with God is that we become too privatized and, and, and somehow think the whole world revolves around us. Because uh, it doesn't. It just, it just doesn't. But God is personally interested, personally attentive, and personally available to me. And he's attentive and, and available in a way that he's not to you. He's attentive and available to you in a different kind of way because it's a very personal relationship, even though God is working in this grand scheme of things. And David gets that. He even talks about himself in a more objective and less personal way when he just calls himself the king in these final verses. But he says, those who seek to destroy my life, verse 9, shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king, that's David, shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. 
So David doesn't lose sight of the fact that God's got this big plan in this big world that he's working out that involves everybody, right? This moment is not simply for me. That would be foolish for me to think that. But there are things simply for me in this moment. And most of this psalm is David connecting with God very, very personally. And I want to point out how it starts and ends, that personal section. In verse 1, it starts with a phrase about his soul. It says, my soul thirsts for you. And then the last verse of that section, verse 8, says, my soul clings to you. He's talking about his own personal soul connection with God. And he's saying, my soul thirsts for you. I've longed for you. I've sought you. My flesh faints. I'm in this dry and weary land. My soul is thirsting for you. And I need you to quench that thirst. I'm desperate for you. And then he ends by saying, my soul is clinging to you. It's you alone that I'm seeking. Whoever else I'm close to and whatever else is happening, I want to draw close to you and lean into you and hold on to you. That's what it's about. It's about David living that reality, cultivating that reality, experiencing that reality, even as things around him are isolating, anxious, difficult, and unclear. So here's a question I have for you. Is your soul in this moment, in this season, thirsting for God? Is your soul clinging for God? Are you living a, a deeply intimate and affectionate personal relationship with God right now? I would suggest that part of what this season affords us and actually lays on us is, in a sense, an obligation is the opportunity to pursue that, to strengthen that, to refine that and refocus on that, to maybe capture that for the first time. God wants that. Do we? Are we willing to take some of what's been disrupted and say, I'm going to find a way in the midst of this to spend at least a little more time focusing on God in a personal way and seeking to grow in that connection so that I can better love God and ultimately love others coming out of this. I think that would be such a, a wonderful blessing that could come out of a very difficult time. As David unfolds this psalm, um, there's really two things that he does, if you boil it down, that I think are helpful for us. One is he makes it personal. His relationship with God, he makes it personal. And the other is he celebrates experience. Okay, he makes it personally, celebrates experience. This whole section is saturated with that, making it personal. All that personal language, you and me, my, I earnestly seek, that's all very personal. And in verse 6, it gets very intimate and personal and vulnerable. When David says, I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, in the most intimate, alone, vulnerable moments, you're right there with me. And I'm engaging with you. One of the things David is tapping into is the fact that God's always with him and he's opening himself up to that reality at all times. He's cultivating an awareness of that and he's seeking to live in partnership daily, moment by moment, with God. Not go to God at a specific time because that's the rhythm of life or because he has a need or because he knows that's the right thing and then go back into normal life, but to let the two completely bleed together 
there are certainly good times. And, and when we get back together to worship in, in our corporate setting, that's going to be awesome. I can't wait for that day. But if that's the only time I'm worshiping God, my worship is very stunted and my relationship with him is very anemic. And this is a season where I get to lean into other aspects. I can't be there with everyone else, and yet God's still here. And I can learn to cultivate that heart. And I can take that everywhere. David, in, in, in his most um, famous moments, we can actually see glimpses of that. Like one of his most famous moments, a moment of glory, was when he fought the giant Goliath and defeated him. It wasn't David out there on God's behalf. It was David out there with God, an awareness of who God is and his relationship with God. And totally set in that context. When he finds out the giant, the giant is taunting the armies of Israel, he, he keeps saying in different conversations, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Right? David is not trying to be particularly rude and insulting. Nor is he overly concerned about Goliath's health hygiene. When he says uncircumcised Philistine, he's actually saying something about relationships. We are God's people. We have an intimate, personal relationship with him that we live under every day, and he doesn't. Why, why should he be allowed or able to even, even approach and, 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 and sneer and insult, much less threaten, when we're the ones who have a relationship with God? David's completely tied into that relationship, and that's what actually winds him up on the battlefield. And as he's running out to meet Goliath, Goliath is armed heavily and he's coming at him with all of his skills and all of his weaponry and David is coming at him with nothing but a sling and some stones. But that's okay. David actually calls out and he says, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin and a shield, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I'm, I'm living my life in God's name. There's this partnership, and this moment is just an expression of that partnership. What I'm doing right now, I'm doing with God. Uh, how, how am I living my life in partnership with God in this moment? That's something that I can, I can adjust my thinking and adjust my heart a little bit and open myself up to doing it together with him. That, that could be a huge thing for some of us. Let, let God invade all of life because that's what he's looking for. David's darkest moment, perhaps, similar. He has this moment where or it's a season where he sins and he commits adultery with Bathsheba and he murders his friend Uriah and is horrible. And when God calls him out through the prophet, David ultimately writes Psalm 51 and in there it says, against you and you only have I sinned. It's a very personal thing for David. Now, he sinned against Bathsheba, he sinned against Uriah, he sinned against the army, he sinned against the people of Israel, he sinned against his vows to his wife, wives actually. He's done all kinds of damage and all kinds of sin, and he's failed all kinds of people, and yet in the ultimate analysis, David is saying, and yet all of that is actually just in, in the context of my relationship with you, so ultimately the biggest thing is I've failed you, God. I've sinned against you. It's very personal. David sees all of life connected with God, and he seeks to lean into that. And, and as he's in this isolated moment in the wilderness, he brings that stuff back. He keeps calling that dynamic to mind. You are, you're God, and you are my God, and I will shelter in you. There's this personal connection. How about for us? 
How personal is my connection with God in this moment? Let me give you a couple of suggestions that might be helpful. One is prayer. Probably a lot of us are praying perhaps even more than we normally do um, because things are hard. And there's nothing wrong with that. that we're, we're supposed to take those prayers to God. But let me, let me give you a, a, a little turn of word that might take those prayers and turn them into something more significant if, if you haven't already discovered this. It's easy to pray toward God instead of to God. I need to pray to God. I need to have an actual conversation with a person, not just come into the room, dump my agenda, dump my fears, call for help, and go back out as if there's some sort of um, commodity exchange going on. This is a conversation with God, and I enter into it conversationally. Devet and I have been walking every morning um, because we can't go to the gym, just trying to get some exercise, and, and we try to practice conversational prayer, even together. And so we'll be walking along talking, and then, then uh, one of us will ask the other one, are you talking to me or are you praying? Because <laughs> it just kind of flows. After a while, you learn to just kind of flow because you're talking to God because you're living in his presence. And, and it, 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 it brings God into every aspect of life. This is a moment, everything's disrupted. It's a moment to draw close. For some of us, it's a moment to learn in new ways how to make that relationship more personal. And maybe one little thing I could do is work hard at not praying towards God, but praying to him. Another thing that would be helpful, I think, for a lot of us is to see this as an assignment. David, we know over and over again from the historical narratives that he viewed what was going on through the grid of God's sovereignty. And we need to do the same. Some of us are struggling, some of us are impatient, some of us are chafing. And, and there's a measure of impatience that just makes sense. It's hard. But then there's a measure of kind of a rebellious heart that wells up and a pushback. It's just not appropriate, right? God's in control. This isn't a mistake. This isn't a disruption to what God is doing. This is what God's doing. I know that first because in his sovereignty, he works in, around, and through everything. So he's working even in this. Secondly, he's actually given me a direct command. All of us, a direct command is his followers to submit to our government, right? Not just obey, but to submit a heart posture that willingly brings itself under. And we've been told to stay home. It is literally my assignment to sit home on my couch, alone in my room. That's an assignment from God. And if I see it through that lens... Some of the emotional energy I burn off with all the what-ifs and wrestlings, maybe I can direct towards more profitable things and say, okay, God, I don't know why this is happening and I'm, I'm not necessarily clear on why it would happen this way as opposed to some other way. And I might not have chosen this way, but that's really not the point. You've told me this is my assignment. So now what do you have for me in this? How do I engage with you? How does this become a personal moment of connection between you and me? Because you've actually assigned me this moment. I think that could be a powerful thing for some of us. The other thing that David does in this psalm is he celebrates experience. Let me just quickly call those things out to your attention. Um, verse 2 says, I looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Right? He goes to the tabernacle, and there's the Shekinah glory of God and all that that brings to mind. And he literally goes to experience direct connection with God's power and glory. And he puts himself in the place where that can happen. And afterwards, he recalls that. Right Now, we don't have the Shekinah glory of God, but you can look around you a million ways and find God's power and glory. 
It surrounds us. And when we have opportunities, we need to key into that. We need to notice that. Now, you know, for me, it's, it's going out under a dark sky. And right now, I have to stay here. So there's nothing dark around here. I can look through a telescope, but it's just not the same. But it's okay. It's nice to be able to do that. But I can also recall, I, I actually have been, recall a couple of years ago when I was on sabbatical in upstate New York, a friend's house, kind of rural. And night after night, I took my little telescope out and was looking at all the things that I love and listening to my worship music. And it was this, it was this amazing connection moment with God. And I can draw from that. I can draw from the beauty of the sunshine and the clarity of the air and the flowers that are around me and... There's all kinds of ways that I can see the majesty and glory of God. I can draw from my experiences where I've seen God work in life. The other night in my men's small group, someone asked, we were studying prayer and, and being persistent in it because God will answer, but sometimes it takes a while. And someone asked how I had experienced that. And I shared three or four stories about how God had done some extraordinary things, although it was a long period of time leading up to it. And sharing that, I think, blessed them. I know it blessed me. I know it drew me into a heart of deeper praise because I have seen, I have experienced the glory and the power of God a thousand different ways. And in this moment, I have time maybe to go find it in fresh ways and if I'm too confined to recall to mind those things that are so blessing and, and, and move me to worship. He celebrates experience um, in concrete ways, right? God's active in concrete ways. So when David says, your steadfast love is better than life, and then later when he says, um, my soul will be satisfied, um, he's, he's talking about concrete things, not, not just some abstract theological principle. Those things are foundational. Those things are huge. But I really don't understand God, and I really don't understand his word until it comes all the way down to a connection point in a concrete way in my life where I can say, God did that. That was amazing. Here's how he provided. Here's how he cared. Here's how he blessed. Here's how he encouraged. Here's how he strengthened. Here's how he challenged. Here's how he surfaced sin and dealt with it. Here's how God has been at work. His kind and faithful love is following me. And I'm recalling that to mind. And I'm choosing to anchor myself there. In the midst of the hard things, where are the good things? The, those those grace moments that I can see, that's a good thing, and God did that. I can start there, and I can build from there. Um, he, he, he engages fully, too. I don't have time to develop this, but if you look, he raises his hands. He uses his imagination. I'm under your wings. I mean, he's fully engaged with God, not holding anything back, because he wants to fully experience God um, in a relational way. We're told that eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ whom he sent, John 17, 3. Knowing is not just cognitive. There's this practical, concrete experience. Sometimes that experience is quiet, and sometimes that experience is harrowing, and sometimes that experience is awe-inspiring, and sometimes that experience is joyful and makes us want to laugh, and sometimes it makes us want to cry with joy, and sometimes it makes us want to cry with sorrow. But encountering the real God who actually is has an impact, and David is leaning into that. Am I leaning into looking for God and leaning into what God has done and allowing that to, to stir my heart and strengthen it? And am I leaning into what he's doing right now and just savoring it, choosing to say, I will be satisfied with the 
with the fine food that you're giving me, the food of your blessing and your grace. Do you have a thirsty soul? Are you clinging? This is a time where we get to know God. I want to finish with a prayer that we have prayed for our girls many, many times over the years. And it's David's charge to Solomon. I'll turn it into a prayer as he's handing over the reins of power to his son. It comes from 1 Chronicles 28, 9. And here's the prayer. I pray that you would know the God of your father and would serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind where the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. We may be here for a while, but we get to be here with God. And in the midst of reorganizing sock drawers and baking bread and trips to the store to make sure we don't run out of toilet paper, and the deeper things, caring for people who are hurting, helping those in need. We have an opportunity to get to know the God of our ancestors in fresh ways, personally and deeply. And my prayer is that we would lean into that. God bless you. Robert has been speaking about how this is an opportune time to pursue loving God and loving others. And he referenced Psalm 63 where the psalmist says, my soul thirsts for you, the living God. And he says right after that, I beheld you in the sanctuary, seeing your power and your glory. And some of us might be feeling today like we have not been allowed to gather in your sanctuary and behold your glory and your power together with one another. <coughs> and we might be feeling like my soul isn't really thirsting for God right now. I've been so distracted. I've actually been fearful and I've been angry at things that I can't control and that I don't have a voice in. A friend was reminding me a few weeks ago that it seems like there is a relationship between the things that we fear losing and the things that we actually have as worship substitutes, those things that we love deeply, sometimes even in place of God. Certainly, as we look back at our country of America, we know that above all things, perhaps, we prize entertainment. And the entertainment world has been taken away from us. We can no longer gather at sporting events we can't go to concerts, we can't congregate freely, we can't go shopping, we can't go to movies. And our hearts long for that. For many of us who are wired for financial stability or financial security, we've seen devastation to the stock market and to the economy and to jobs. And then we've seen these unexpected rebounds just about the time we were trying to protect everything and keep everything safe. And it's so unpredictable. And for those of us who 
desire to to maintain some sort of order or control or stability over things. We've seen that every week the news is changing. Every day it seems we're having to re-pivot based on new information. Are we going to be shut down till the end of summer or two days later we hear we might America might be opening up again, perhaps as early as next week. And how do we adapt to these ever-changing realities? Well, I want to use this as a catalyst opportunity to lead you in prayer in, th- in, in, in three areas that are related. Just recognizing that this can be a gift. In all of this topsy-turviness, it could be that God is revealing things that are true that might be in the territory of disordered loves. And so I'd like to give us an opportunity, one, to ask God to reveal those to us, and two, to call them out for what they are and to confess them, and then three, to reaffirm our focus and our pursuit of Jesus Christ above all other things and to reaffirm and refine our satisfaction in him. So I want to ask that you would bow where where you are right now and that you would join me in prayer, that you would pray these words after me and pray in the silent times in your heart. Spirit of God, we come to you and we ask even now that you would reveal to us individually what are our disordered loves? What are those things that we fear losing? What are those things that cause us to be angry when they are taken away from us? God, would you reveal those things to us right now that captivate our attentions, take over our affections, and cause us to be angry and sometimes obscure our view of you? God, what are those things in my heart? Would you reveal them to me now? And God, as some of these things are coming into my mind right now, that I recognize them to be true. God, I want to confess them to you, that I don't want these to obscure my worship of you or my vision of Christ. God, these are secondary things. They are important, but they are not primary. And so God, I confess that to the degree that they have become first, I have sinned. And so God, I ask, for your forgiveness, and I repent of the power that I've allowed them to have over my life and over my heart and my attitude and my focus. And God, finally, I want to reaffirm my desire to put Christ first. God, would you restore within me a heart's hunger, a soul's thirst for the living God above all other things. God, would you restore within me the joy of sensing the access that I have to relationship with you, O God. May that be more paramount to me, more significant to me than all of the restrictions that I'm experiencing. God, no one can take that away from me. Would you help me to cling to that anew? to find new joy there, new delight there. May I be determined to worship you, O God, above everything else and find joy in you. And as I pursue loving you more than these other things, would you help me 
to take your love and to apply it to others and through you to love others as you have loved me. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Nate is going to lead us in a couple songs that continue to guide our thoughts and refocusing toward our Lord in whom it is better to be with than anything else. <laughs>